food security build on global supply chains and the current corporate food regime system is in the second quarter of 2020 shown us how easily expendable our food security can be. COVID-19 has fully flexed itself as a very big challenge to achieving the second sustainable development goal, our resolve to end hunger and feed the rising global population. And if that is not enough, a wake-up call to rebuild and build more robust local food supply chains and systems, there will never be one such call anytime soon in the history of mankind. My name is Ngoni Said Ali Kativu, and in this episode of the Sustainability Inquiry, I look at underlying issues as to why we need to rethink the food security systems of an evolving developed world. Lockdown, social distancing, quarantine, border closures, movement restrictions, these are some of the words that have strongly defined our life in the year 2020. Amidst varying combinations of practices, supply chains have for different commodities been heavily disrupted or affected and none of them more seriously than supply chains of food. The rise in food loss and waste, some of it deliberate, is the evidence to the fact. Supply chains for perishable agricultural products which are integral to food and nutrition security, such as fruits, vegetables, fish, meat and milk, have become a problem of their own nature and form. In some cases due to labor lockdowns and minimized mobility, labor shortages have inhibited either production or distribution. Not a single part of the food supply chain is safe from COVID-19. Even in the advanced middle and high income countries that had advanced in technological dependencies along the food chains to combat food waste and loss once production begins. Suffice to say, in many parts of the world, the COVID-19 pandemic has become a very serious food security problem. The COVID-19 pandemic has become a problem beyond health. In the times of crisis, we have before questioned the structure and nature of certain human cultures and behaviors. In that scheme of behavior, we have questioned our food systems more than we do when we have no crisis in sight. COVID-19 is no exceptional crisis in as far as this interrogative pattern goes. And it is not only our interaction with food that has become a subject of questions. Our food systems were in no way near perfect before the pandemic. And right now, they are even further away from perfection. Globally, of all the food we produce, two portions we eat and one portion we waste. The beginning of the pandemic exposed the normalized global waste culture, a culture that should be abhorred and repudiated at all levels of society. A first step in creating a world systematically free from food waste and in the process we may move maybe and I say maybe one step closer to a world free from hunger.
as the world reacted to COVID-19, mitigation and control measures saw a multi-level isolation of micro and macro communities of the global village. From the individual, to the family, to the town, to the city, to the nation, to the region, the pandemic gave us a historical lockdown wherein people became more physically isolated and restricted through multiple borders that limited our mobility and in the process the exchange and flow of resources. One would say, and this is correct, we became prisons in our own world. In these pandemic prisons, there was a shift in channels and patterns of food consumption. Out-of-home consumption in the developed world decreased rapidly and significantly. For example, in the Netherlands, where out-of-home consumption for food before the pandemic accounted for an average one-third of the nation's food, many would learn to cook for the first time, probably as the lockdown reduced this ratio to an average zero. A zero out of home food consumption because of COVID-19 sure sounds like a very good measure, especially of safety, yet its consequences in the food systems are far-reaching and more complex than can be seen on the surface. To begin with, it did not imply that all the food consumed by businesses and out-of-home channels was transferred to the domestic realm of consumption. Even though domestic demand for food increased due to the pandemic in the developed world, it was not enough to absorb all of the food from non-domestic channels, the part of the food that is absorbable anyway. The channels shift due to the lockdown meant that farmers and food producers have at their would have at their exposure an increased supply from their usual production since they would not sell be able to sell their products to the out of home channels anymore. For example, in the same case of the Netherlands, about one million tons of potatoes have been reported as going to waste, which is about thirteen percent of the total potato production in the country. When faced with certain such as this, producers are always the first and hardest to be hit, as we have read in many reports since the pandemic started. The first wave of COVID-19 effects was lower prices of food because of the surplus caused by the disruption in the out-of-home cooking and consumption. In the case of potatoes, prices for non-contract potatoes dropped dramatically all against the backdrop that farmers still had to plant the seed potatoes for the 2020 harvest and as the year unravels itself they are likely to face similar price challenges leaving them with nothing but potential financial ruin. When restaurants, schools, hotels and stadiums closed Around 50% of the food in the U.S. as of the month of April was left in limbo and many stakeholders in the food chains had no idea what to do with most of this food except wasting it away. It did not come as a surprise when in the month of April 2020 a food dumping pandemic started in many developed countries, especially those with a high out-of-home consumption ratio. It was not surprising to read on the BBC News website and in the New York Times 
of reports in the US for example where you would hear cases such as farmers dumping 14 million liters of milk daily as supply routes are disrupted for example you hear of Idaho farmers bearing 1 million pounds around 450 tons of onions you hear of south florida tractors crisscrossing bean and cabbage fields to plow perfectly ripe vegetables back into the soil from which they were once grown you hear of chicken processors destroying 750,000 unhatched eggs per week but the truth of the matter is that dumping food was already a problem before covid-19 and the crisis and the pandemic has just exposed our culture for what it is and in as far as headlines such as these are concerned we are not out of the woods yet remember those th- terms that have defined our 2020 lockdown social distancing quarantine border closures to name a few these have not been so kind to food systems in the developed world especially when you factor in labor economics or food production The BBC reported self isolation in social distancing guidelines is having slowed picking efforts for food in many places. International lockdowns is disrupting the usual international flow of labor across the food industry in Europe. All global food chains in both developed and developing countries require labor to turn seeds into food and to move that food from farms to the market. We work for our food before our food works for us. And circumstances brought by the global pandemic have inhibited the labor flow wherein we must work for our food. As stated in the beginning, it is usually in the time of crisis that we often question some of our conventionalized behaviors and cultures. Reports by Refed shows that America's annual food waste is to the tune of 218 billion dollars spread across farming, manufacturing, consumption, uh businesses and across the homes. That is 1.3% of the country's gross domestic product spent to grow, process, transport and dispose food that is never eaten against the backdrop that one in every seven Americans is food insecure it would be interesting to know the amount of financial waste in the food chains for the year 2020 that said we are not once more out of the woods anytime soon in as far as reading news such as this more headlines of the nature previously read are yet to come these are a few of the examples which simply saw how systematically our food systems are structured to see food waste as a conventional part of our supply chains one for which there is limited willingness to really address as long as developing countries do not invest a lot of energy in fighting the waste culture that the corporate food regimes has allowed there is no hope yet in fighting and insight to reduce food waste and in the process improve 
food security for the food insecure people of the developed world. The corporate food regime invests a lot of money in food systems and it equally profits in the high extremes. I think it has made peace with the food that is wasted in the value chains as long as the wheels of supply are oiled and demand targets are met. I suppose if it had to throw away nine in every ten potatoes and was still satisfied with its profit, the nine other potatoes would not matter much until such a time when it is impossible for the corporate food regime to produce all that much and make satisfactory profits. One would say that the corporate food regime is in its capitalistic nature inclined towards profit and does not have a conscience of its own and a will of its own to reduce food waste, albeit at a high environmental cost emanating from increased fertilizer, chemicals, and energy currently used in the production of food and in our food systems. The fight against food waste as a culture is not a fight whose lagging is to be blamed only on the corporate food regime responsible for the production and availing of food into the markets. We are also part of the corporate food regime in our own way as consumers. We are shaped by the corporate food regime as much as we shape it through the values that we place on food. In the developed world, if an apple is bruised and a banana is spotted, though both of them are not diseased whatsoever, both fruits are undesirable despite carrying equally the same amount of nutrition and both equally fit for consumption. The developed world food consumer is looking for the perfect well-rounded apple with a shiny skin you could almost see your face reflecting back at you when you look into it. Such premiumization of food has become one of the factors and pressures on the food systems. Such is the pressure of standards transferred by consumers into the corporate food regime for which part the food waste is justified for that part of food not fit for consumption. Am I saying then we must lower the standards in the developed world in as far as these qualities and premiumizations are concerned? That is another story for another sustainability inquiry. But the truth of the matter is that our consumption and our wasting must be as realistically conscious to our carbon footprint for which we have increasingly seen a rise in protests on the backdrop of climate change. I don't think it would come as a surprise if this very same pandemic under which we have become prisoners in, in our own world is as a result of a climate-induced mutation to the SARS uh, coronavirus, the climate changes of which our highly wasting food systems make a significant contribution. This is just something to think about, especially if we really need to address the challenges in our food systems in the developed world. One of these challenges which is very important to address now more than ever is the distribution challenge and problem.
debates have been going on for years as to whether we really need to double our food production to meet rising global food demands and to feed the 9 billion of us who be living on this planet Earth by the year 2050. On another part of the debate is the question, do we not simply need to lower and, if possible, zero our food waste? Some suggest that an increase between 25 and 70% in production is enough to meet the 2050 demands of food by the 9 million people who be living on Earth. Then there is another school of thought stating that if we zeroed our food waste, there will be no doubling of production to talk about at all. One of the very fundamentals that make a strong case for this school of thought is the mountain of proof of wasted food, which if not wasted would actually be able to feed the 820 million people who are presently food insecure and after feeding such a big population would still remain with a surplus. One of the main leakages causing food waste of magnitudes we read in reports today is due to poor food distribution systems across the globe. Distribution like food itself in the corporate food systems of our world follows money. It is also capitalistic in its very nature, this idea and economic element called distribution. Money is needed to create distribution systems and in the markets where the distributed food reaches as final destinations before it is bought, there also has to be money, which is the purchasing power and oil that sustains the corporate food regimes. The case for food distribution is not made any better by issues such as food sovereignty, food politics, trade politics and global politics in general which all have the potential to inhibit or have the potential to enhance the effective and sustainable distribution of foods into markets. A separate episode on the politics of food distribution will follow later in another episode of the sustainability inquiry. Before we can think of global politics of food distribution as a solution to food security by and through reduction of waste, we need to think about food distribution at national level or less where politics has higher levels of homogeneity. Fragility in food systems in high-income countries at national level have been exposed as well around distribution systems for food. Before the pandemic, the distribution of food was in no way perfect. Otherwise, how would we explain a 1.3% waste of a country's GDP in producing food that is only to be dumped back into the earth from where it was produced? Upon this backdrop, a nation is perhaps the best testing geopolitical territory for policies, logistics, practices, and technologies that work well to improve food distribution and in the process reduce waste, which in itself is one step towards achieving food security. 
if national food distribution systems are done right at the national level and less they then can be scaled replicated and customized across regions that are connected by trade and furthermore across the entire globe during the pandemic i heard for the first time the concept of food banks but by all standards and findings of this inquiry the capacity of these so-called food banks is very limited in terms of size of storage as well as technological scope for different storages much more and equally so they are also limited in terms of the distribution capacity food banks can be a good solution to the food distribution problem if there is a sizable investment in developing them if put international food policies a rule that for every dollar invested food in a year 2 dollars should be invested into food banks and food distribution systems i think we would have been in a better place today and i think we would move towards reducing food waste faster than we think the question then is where do we go from here particularly in the developed world there is something wrong if not everything wrong with the present day model of corporate food systems that are market specific and lack the flexibility of distribution and market options wherein if one option is not available food cannot be streamlined into alternative available markets flexibility of supply chains is very important to consider if we need to feature proof value chains of food this flexibility is and should be considered across many aspects two key among these aspects is technological flexibility and contractual flexibility on the matter of contractual flexibility advanced as the food systems in developed countries are you would think they can change supply agreements on a moment's notice but is that the case one of the contractual locks and constraints is usually because of niche production and niche oriented food chains for which the volumes and quantities as well as qualities are specifically streamlined in a manner that makes them unfit for alternative market contracts and these contracts for the most part inform the technological investments made in the production chain albeit without clear cut alternatives and insurance or contingencies for immediate transfer to mainstream markets if these arrangements of supply and demand are disrupted on the matter of technological flexibility it makes no sense at all that a large scale fresh food enterprise cannot adapt to package onions or beans in volumes that are conducive for trade targeting domestic consumption because their technologies are tailored to package large portions for business channels such as schools hotels and restaurants technological adaptability and flexibility in this case becomes a very important element not only to reduce food waste but to also negotiate the otherwise rough terrain of food insecurity in the developed states of the world bear in mind the statistics from earlier on that one in seven americans is food insecure this is against the backdrop of 
218 billion US dollars being spent to produce food that is never eaten. Part of the reasons why this is the case is because food technologies are yet to be and are far from perfect. And while they are in themselves a solution to food waste, technological customizations to pack and standardize food by selected shape, size, color, and so forth causes the condemnation of otherwise good food, which then ends up being dumped because industry or business does not deem it fit to make certain dishes or to meet certain customer or clientele demands. The important question to ask here is, does the domestic food consumer market where one in seven Americans is hungry see it that way as well? Does it see that same food is unfit to eat because the potato is too small or too big or because the potato is deformed and is not well rounded for me i think the answer is a certain no in my view adaptability and flexibility should not be merely for the production and packaging but throughout and across the entire food chain including processing and storage systems on that note, the developed countries have the capacity and resources to build food storage and food processing reservoir technologies that are necessary for enduring times of crisis such as this pandemic. Those who watch television can recall watching more than once the showcasing of bunkers for shelter and safety, for example, in case of nuclear fallouts. If such expensive structures can be created, for which they are actually created and they exist, for a probable future that may or may never be, why is it not a consideration to create standby food processor technologies, food reservoirs and food banks on big farms that get functional when normal supply chains are disrupted and then function as a form of insurance in the same vein. The same principle can be applied to food storage technologies and reservoirs that can be filled with food in times of disruptive crisis or in anticipation for crisis. One of the things that is very important or should be looked at is that of lowering costs. Now I know what many can be thinking in rebuttal to the idea of flexibility and adaptability, especially where technology is concerned, because most of this is costly. For context on this, many countries in the developed world have specialized supply chains. In the US, as an example, they are dualized supply chains where one part is supplying to grocery stores for the domestic market and the other part supplies the food service industry. Both of these are built also on very unique and sometimes non-transferable standards, be it the technologies, packaging, quality and most importantly quantity. The idea around specialization without flexibility is to keep prices down for many foods, which this duality does so perfectly. But imagine this, 
if and where the corporate food regime controls significant parts of the food supply chain like how the four giant companies Tyson, Cargill, JBS, International Beef are responsible for processing 80% of US beef. The consequences on meat supply can be far-reaching as has been seen due to closure of packaging plants which happened in May when almost 16,000 workers tested positive for the virus. The implication here is that prolonged closures mean rise in beef demand against a limited supply even if the demand was to remain constant. Why would the idea of specialized processors is meant to keep prices down for many foods, which has indeed been effective in many parts of the developed world. When disruptions such as the pandemic come into play, these specialized supply chains are the first to run losses. For example, milk producers with contract supply dairy products to schools, restaurants, and other businesses have been hit the hardest in America and in Europe. What makes this issue worse is that parts of the value chain cannot be stopped without consequences. For example, the making of cows must continue because as long as they are feeding, they continue to produce milk in their bodies, which if not milked has serious animal health consequences. It becomes inevitable thus to milk for the waste drains without alternative consumers of flexibility to easily join the available market options. The same case applies with eggs, which layers are bound to lay as soon as they are feeding. It would be unethical then to say, let's not feed a cow its sufficient allotment or a layer its sufficient allotment so that they do not produce a lot of milk or eggs respectively, which in its own right has got consequences when there is need to resume production that is not disrupted and that is effective. I believe that scientists, science and policymakers more than ever before need to align as well as future-proof food systems against pandemics and rising unknown challenges. Policies across the food divide have overreaching consequences from many angles, all of which lead to food insecurity, weak food systems and fragile corporate food structures in the face of uncertainty if not done right. These corporate food structures which are often depended upon without insurances of both production and distribution in turbulent times lead to the fragility such as we find in our present day crisis with COVID-19. I am convinced that amidst specializations and dualized or plural structures of food systems in developed countries, a cost-benefit analysis must be done on the flexibility of supply chains to find and leverage resilience on points of possible convergences and transferability of food to parallel food supply chains. Although specialization is a noble idea crucial for lowering the costs, developed countries with specialization in their food supply chains and need to ask and answer this seriously important question. Which cost are we really lowering and at what other cost when disruptions and uncertainty come into play?
my name once more is Ngoni Said Ali Kativ and this has been the sustainability inquiry